재미와 지식의 오디오라이프 팝빵 Welcome back. Uh, well, our people in Seoul segment that we do every week around this time is, just as the name suggests, an attempt to bring you some very interesting people that are passing through. Before they head home, we want to connect you to them. We've got a very interesting global, globally-minded kind of official this week. This is Christmas season, and a whole lot of people are thinking about uh, celebrating and food, usually a bit too much food. But we want to help you remember those who aren't so fortunate And uh, that's the main work of our guest today. The United Nations World Food Program, also known as WFP, is the world's largest humanitarian agency fighting hunger, and it's funded entirely by voluntary donations. Today we're joined by Abdu Jeng, who is the regional director for West and Central Africa for WFP, and he's here in Korea to share the message of his work before he moves on to a regional conference. Mr. Jeng, welcome. Thank you. It's great to have you. Thank you for getting up early and coming to see us. It's a pleasure being here. <laughs> so, um, is this? Uh, have you been to Korea before? First time in Korea. This is your first time. My first time. And you're a very busy man, I'm sure. But are you getting to see a few things at least? Yeah, I'm trying with my colleagues here to look few things. Yeah, know. yeah. Fit in some downtime in Korea. I think you'll you'll enjoy some of the sights and so on. What brings you here? Listen, what brings me here is just to come and share what's happening in West Africa today. And, you know, it's a very uh, poor region. Yes. And there are many, many people in that region who really just cannot make it because they are food insecure. And as you clearly mentioned, this is a time when many people... would love to celebrate and part of that celebration has to do with food and they don't have it and we believe that uh, we could talk to people here and see how they can get help mm. from Korea food insecure they don't even have the basic means to sustain themselves via whatever uh, this is exactly what it is mm. these people they just rely on help They cannot make it, and we are working extremely hard to see how we can help them to make it, but it will take time for them to be able to make it. This sort of, this whole world hunger kind of narrative, since I was a very little boy, mm -hmm. it seems to be this perpetual cycle of hunger aid, hunger aid, hunger aid. West Africa and Central Africa, they tend to be perceived as sort of the perpetual intensive care patient of the world and receiving aid. Has that narrative changed at all over the decades? Today, what is different than from when I was a little boy? I would say not much has changed. Uh, there are countries where there are some changes. There are hopes. But in many countries, uh, it's not happening. It's not happening because of conflicts. It's not happening because of bad governance. Mm. 
it's not happening because many of those leaders in those countries, they don't know how to do it. Okay. And this is why it's extremely hard for them to make it. The leaders don't know how to do it. It's not necessarily malign governance. There's just a lack of... Uh, lack of vision. Lack of roadmap. Lack of vision, lack of roadmap, lack of will. And they just cannot do it for their people. Sure. One major thing that seems to have changed over those decades uh, is China and the role of China, the strength of China, particularly in Africa. You mentioned I think you're going to China after this visit to Seoul, right? Uh, some kind of conference going on there. Has that changed how people talk about uh, Africa and some of the endemic problems there? The fact that China comes in and, and starts investing, some people say, almost neo-colonizing Africa. But it's a different, it's a whole different framework than the old sort of colonial and post-colonial kind of uh, ways of discussing Africa. Not only China. Uh, the reason why, one of the reasons why I'm here also is to look at uh, South Korea. Okay. These countries, maybe 50 years ago, they were at the same level where Africa was. And if you look at what they have done over the last past years, uh, we believe that if it has happened in China and Korea, it could happen in Africa. Okay. And this is what I'm trying to figure out. What has happened in this country for them to be able to reverse that tendency... Because we were at the same level of poverty 50 years ago. So I think there are some lessons that we can learn and there are some lessons that we could learn uh, in order to stop begging because this is what is happening. And I'm sure by the time I will get out of here, I will be able to take lessons that I can bring to Africa and share that with them. Interesting. The early stage of both China and South Korea's development mm -hmm. involves benign authoritarian systems and sometimes not so benign uh, and very top-down kind of planning. Is that? Do you think that's what these African nations might need? This is what they need, but I think uh, to be able to be where China and South Korea are, I think it will require a huge vision from those leaders, leadership, and hard work. That is what I think at this stage. I'm sure that maybe before I get out of this part of the world, I will find other lessons. But for the mm -hmm. time being, this is what I have gathered. As a WFP senior manager... Are you engaging often in these kind of structural discussions in terms of, uh, for lack of a better phrase, fixing the countries and fixing the governments? Or so much of your work must be just involved in the mechanics, the logistics of getting the emergency food to people? For the time being, this is what is happening. For, for the time being, we're providing aid to many of those countries. In my region, we have 20 countries. In those 20 countries, we are helping about... 7.5 million people, uh, which costs about more than a $1.5 billion every year. As you know, the world, the leaders of the world, has embarked on what we call the SDG, the Sustainable Development Goal, mm -hmm. and which are 17 goals that all the countries, they have signed up, 
And one of those goals, which is a goal number two, is to eradicate anger from now till 2030. Mm-hmm. To get to that, uh, we need to get a kind of roadmap, really working very hard with all the countries involved to eradicate anger. And I do believe, and this is one of the reasons I am here, that to get to there, we need to come here and learn some lesson. You know, even I was thinking... Is it that I have to come and take some lesson and bring them to Africa? Or do I have to bring people here to see what has happened? So this is a bit my dilemma. That's an interesting idea. Bring some key influencers from those countries absolutely. to see the, yes. what, what has gone yeah. on. Because you can come and see and go and explain. But I think it will be more strong to bring a couple of leaders here to, 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 to talk to people and work with them to try to see how they have done it because it's possible it is possible to eradicate anger in africa and i do believe that if we are serious about it we can eradicate anger in the next couple of years before 2030 that's awfully ambitious i mean i wish you the best of luck in that it is uh, it is but it's possible mm. The me- how have the mechanics of uh, providing this emergency food evolved? Or, or perhaps the food itself has evolved. Maybe there are advances in that kind of technology. Certainly the, the nuts and bolts of emergency feeding must be improving all the time with technology, with ICT. Yeah, I think technology must help us to move forward. But today, what we do in a situation like... Um, emergency or even non-emergency, we do some kind of analysis to understand why these populations are food insecure. Okay. And the solution will depend on the type of vulnerability that we have assessed. There are places where food is not available. In this case, you have to bring food for those people to be able to feed themselves. Yes. There are situations where when we do our analysis where food is available, the reason why these people cannot make it is simply because they don't have the possibility to buy the food. Mm. In cases like that, we bring, let's say, cash okay. or voucher to help those people to get access to food. But most commonly... When we do our analysis, it's simply today because they cannot access food. Mm. They don't have the possibility. In this case, this is why we're talking now, instead of food aid, like we used to say in the past, we talk about food assistance. Okay. We look how to help them to have food. And most generally today, we provide them with cash or with some vouchers. They go to retailers to get food. So it's just a matter of the food is in country. You just have to kind of grease the uh, the market mechanisms a little bit. Absolutely. Mm. The big, uh, I guess, WFP client here in this neck of the woods is, of course, North Korea. Mm-hmm. And uh, the perpetual issue there with the WFP is, and I think the WFP is on the stricter side of things with regard to supervision and food, uh, making sure that uh, food is not uh, derailed into whatever, into the army or private markets. In, in Africa, are you up against that problem with uh, food being sidetracked? 
Not as the same level as what I heard happening in North Korea. Mm. I think in Africa we have the possibility of dealing with the different leaders and making sure that the food gets to those who require it. I'm not saying that in 100% of the case we can make it, but usually we have access to really those who cannot make it and provide them with food. Uh, the situation in North Korea is a bit different, uh, mm. which I am maybe less familiar that yeah, yeah. than in Africa. But in Africa, usually uh, those who are food insecure, they are in area where you have a conflict. Today, the biggest challenge that we are confronted with is northeast of Nigeria. Nigeria is known as a wealthy country within the context of Africa. But in the northeast of Nigeria, because of the presence of the Islamic group called Boko Haram, right. trying to establish a kind of Islamist territory, uh, there is a fight between the government and those terrorists and people living in that area being trapped for the last couple of years, and that has created food insecure area. If you go up north to Central Africa Republic, which is another country uh, confronted with conflict, which also having an impact in all the region. It's not because food cannot be grown there. It's possible, but if you have a conflict, mm, the population, they even cannot have access to their land, plant, harvest, and agriculture season happen maybe once or twice a year. If you miss them, you have to wait until the next. And that is now being a kind of cycle which is being repeated and repeated, which put the people living in those areas in a very difficult circumstance. And their only hope today is getting help from the international community through one of the organizations like the World Food Program. I was telling you that in in the world today, we are assisting 800 million people still. 80, 80 million, sorry, uh, people out of 800 million in the world still food insecure. And in West Africa, we talk about 7.5 million people depending on food aid. When you have huge amounts of land and territory controlled by a group like Boko Haram, what's access like? And who are you who are you talking to about accessing those areas and bringing food? This is a main challenge. Access is very, very complicated. You know, uh, we used to deal with people in conflicting areas where we know who the actors are or who the actor were, and that was not very complicated. But if you have jihadist group, first, it's extremely difficult to establish contact with them because mm. that gives them a kind of recognition that they don't deserve. Sure. They uh, become almost diplomats. Exactly. And this is why access to those populations become very complicated. This is why sometimes we're having difficulties to access those populations. But we can, we have the experience using different type of methodology and tactic to access to those populations. Not 100%, because it also become a bit dangerous for our people to go. Surely. Well, and then, then what's supervision like? Uh, uh, you can't exactly <laughs> transparently roll up in there and uh, with, a, with a clipboard, you have to pretty much drop the food off and hope that it 
Yeah, uh, in in extreme circumstances, either we airlift or we airdropped. Okay. But if we drop, we have to make sure that we have our people on the ground. And when we drop the food, the food is collected by our people and delivered those who are supposed to get it rather than just dropping something in the air. And in this case, feeding those who don't, who do not deserve to be fed. Because it's against our value to support that group. But making the difference between those who are supposed to, to receive the, the, the assistance and those who are creating the, those conditions to put these people in difficult uh, circumstances, we, you need, one has to be extremely conscious about where the resources are going to be delivered. How do you spend most of your time, uh, your day flow? Is it uh, mostly putting out fires with specific sort of acute food situations like that Nigeria situation you mentioned? Or is it uh, long-range kind of uh, structural planning? Both. Out of the 20 countries that I'm responsible for, you have about three areas where you have to act as a firefighter. Okay. I'm talking about northeast of Nigeria. I'm talking about Central Africa Republic. I'm talking about the Sahel. But you have other countries like Mauritania, like Senegal, like Guinea, Guinea-Bissau, where you don't have conflict, but you have extreme poverty. Mm-hmm. The assistant is not the same. Uh, in the first type of country that I had mentioned where you have conflict, the strategy is different from the strategy that you have when you deal with really people in secure area, but very, very poor. I mean, we, in the outside, uh, in the rest of the world, we tend to think of Africa as Africa, as this one sort of unified thing. Nothing could be farther from the truth. Nothing could be, you know, uh, you have not one continent to deal with as your or part of one continent to deal with as your brief you have uh, hydra headed uh, many political situations many types of leaders many types of backgrounds these are all extremely distinct countries so you've got to come to the table with a lot of different solutions there's not one africa problem to solve of course there is not one africa problem to solve you have different problem within africa you have area where really the issue is about governance. Mm. You have area where the issue is about conflict. You have area where the issue is about disease. Uh, remember last year at the same time we were talking about Ebola. I was part of that response. So a different situation required different type of response. Mm. But in all those situations, you would have people who are left behind. And we want to bring, we want to take those people who are left behind and try to help them uh, to be able to make it. Otherwise, there is no hope. And we do believe if people, they don't have any hope, the issue that I was talking about, terrorism, they, it's very easy to attract them into those kind of uh, situations. It it almost seems like a vicious circle, right? Food insecurity tends to radicalize 
or it would seem to me, to uh, facilitate the radicalization of young people. And then the uh, conflict and the denial of territory resulting from those radical groups increases food insecurity. It's a vicious circle. Yeah, it's, it's, I would say about poverty. And uh, if you are poor, one of your aim is to, to get to something which is basic, which is food. Mm. Food security has to do with extreme poverty. If you are very poor, you cannot meet your basic need, and one of the basic need is about food. So when you are in Korea, mm -hmm. are you talking to people who shaped this country, say, 20 years ago? I mean, it would seem, where's the sweet spot in South Korea's modern history that you're targeting for this kind of knowledge and lessons as you described it? Is it the people who are here and now? in charge of South Korea, or it would seem to me you'd want to target those people from about 20, 30 years ago. Definitely. Today, I will have a lot of meetings with different leaders in this country. First, to address those solutions that I'm talking about, it won't happen overnight. It's not for tomorrow. We still need to continue assisting these people until we find a permanent solution. Mm. And to find those solutions... I count on countries like North Korea because I was told and it has been proven that when most of these countries, they they got their independence, meaning 1960, mm. they were at the same level sure. as North Korea. Uh, as Korea, sorry. Okay, yeah, so, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> now, what has happened here for them to make it? And this is exactly what I'm trying That's to do. That's the big do. question, isn't it? It's... It's not a big question. They have, they have, they made it. Uh, first, I was telling to my colleague, I know that to make it, you, it's required hard working. Yeah. And they are very hard working. It required that you have uh, strong leaders who have a vision. Yes. This is what I have observed so far. I'm sure that by discussing with the leaders here, uh -huh. I may find additional tip which I could take. But, what I want them to do is to help these people who are in need and work with us on a more longer-term solution like eradicating hunger within our lifetime. Abdu Jeng is the regional director for West and Central Africa for the World Food Program. He's been here in Korea to uh, have a quick visit, learn some lessons, and he's going to move on to China. I want to thank you very much, sir, for making uh, us part of your day. Thank you very much for receiving me. The World Food Program's website is wfp.org. The donate button is right on the front page, and Christmas is a great time to help someone else eat. Just as a footnote to the whole hunger in Africa topic, some 30 years ago, some of the biggest stars in the world, names that we recognize still, Bono, Sting, George Michael, all got together. They made a little Christmas carol, and they called themselves Band-Aid. The song is Do They Know It's Christmas, which we are going to go out on today. But our show is produced by Ojang Sop with associate production by Jamie Lee, writing by Nikki Kim, and I'm Kurt Asian. We'll see you tomorrow morning. Here's Do They Know It's Christmas. It's Christmas time. There's 
Christmas time, we let in light. 